Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the CONCACAF Champions League Review Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League Round of 16 Second Leg Review Show. The uh, interesting moments that we've been watching so far uh, of this tournament has been fun to see. It's been fun to talk about. It's been fun to say, wow, that actually happened. And uh, when you say, one second, excuse me, sorry about that. When, when you talk about these clubs from Liga Max and MLS, uh, either demolishing the competition or they didn't have to worry about it because they were going to, they only needed a goal or two just to advance or just live on the aggregate that they accumulated in the first half, let's just say the first leg of this tournament in the round of 16. You knew that we were going to have some big time quarterfinal matchups getting ready for this tournament, and you can definitely say it did not disappoint what we have seen, what we have witnessed. Um, you know, you're watching the situation moving forward, and, you know, some results are not surprised, and some results you are, but the truth is, is that when you get to a level of predictability sometimes, you know, it's a situation where, hey, all I can say is, is that for clubs in MLS, well, you know, we expected this. And for some clubs in MLS, you're like thinking, wow, we didn't expect this to happen, but it did. And all you can say is that, especially with Liga MX, you're expecting basically a route. You're expecting a destruction. You're expecting something to happen when you see a certain club go out and dominate the way they did. When you look at the match against Arcania and Cruz Azul, it was a nil-nil draw in Haiti. But then when you get back to Mexico City and Cruz Azul Stadium, forget about it. It was a destruction from the beginning till the end. And all you can say is you just marvel at an amazing, amazing uh, result in the second leg. Scoreless in Haiti, but an 8 mil destruction by Cruz Azul. And... You know, let's not kid ourselves. You knew, we all knew what was going to happen. It was a matter of time. A matter of time. And all you can say is, is that uh, Cruz Azul basically did everything right. And they went out and destroyed who they wanted to destroy. Now, when it comes to Club America... When it comes to Club America, that shocked me. 
They went into a victory through away goals. And to me, that should never have happened. Taking on one of Honduras's best in Club Olympia, one of the oldest clubs in Honduras, you get two away goals in, in Honduras, and then you don't score anything, and then you allow Olympia to get a goal. Now, granted, it's 2-2 on aggregate, but 2-1 on away goals, yet you allowed Olympia to put the scare in you. You allowed Olympia to put the scare in you. If you are Club America and you're fighting for a place in the quarterfinals, to me, that's a no-no. To me, that's like the biggest no-no I have ever seen in my life. Sorry about the uh, echoing. But honestly, that is the biggest no-no I've ever seen in my life. To allow Olympia to put the scare in you, especially at the Estadio Azteca. How is it possible you are one of the top clubs in all of Mexico, along with, of course, Guadalajara and Chivas? Uh, You also have... Uh, Pachuca, I don't know if they're still up there or not, but at least, you know, Cruz Azul, Santos Laguna, Monterrey, some of the bigger clubs in all of Mexico, and all of Mexican football, and yet you allow Olympia of Honduras to get an away goal, and you don't put anything past them. Now, granted, they advanced... They advanced through away goals, but in my mind, that's the poorest result in favor of uh, Club America that I've ever seen. You know, I talk to John Jagu a lot, SoccerChronicles.com, Cantina MX podcast. You know, the way that they have claimed to be one of Mexico's top clubs, I believe they are one of Mexico's top clubs. Tigres has been fighting for that title as well. They did so, of course, uh, when they had to restart the Champions League after the coronavirus pandemic started. But there is no more Miguel Herrera to run the club. And, you know, all the pundits on Mexican television including uh, that one particular gentleman. I'm not going to go into his name. I don't even remember his name. I know his face. But when he claims that Mexican soccer is the best in this uh, region, we are always there always going to be, you know, fighting and, and battling and clawing and uh, doing everything they can to go out and do the damage and being uh, the supreme nation in this confederation, which, look, I think we can all say that that Liga MX and the FMF, their finances and their their structure uh, is much better than what MLS has shown, especially with the uh, collective bargaining agreements that they've done, uh, everything that they've done, and, you know, 
all the different uh, salary structures that we have here at MLS. Let's be honest. If Liga MX is truly the best and they win the tournament, any club in Liga MX wins the tournament every single time, how do you put the scare in your, in your supporters and at the same time uh, the media, the Mexican media, and then, yes, fine, you advance through away goals 2-1 to one on a 2-2 two -two aggregate. But once again, how do you claim to be the best when you barely beat Honduras and their clubs? Olympia, they put the scare into Club America. Tigres last year put the scare in their supporters, yet they found a way to win on aggregate or on away goals or however you want to do it. And they finally, you know, did the job and they won the tournament last year. But once again, you are one of the better clubs in all of Mexican football. How do you not put away Olympia? And how is it you allow them to get an away goal and put the scare in you and you don't put anything in the back of their net? That is the big question mark, folks. That's the huge question mark right now. Now, granted, they probably took it, you know, they took the opposition lightly, but you can't do that. If you are one of the CONCACAF, as you claim to be, and you want to go out there and prove your worth, showing why you are one of the best clubs in all of Mexican football, shouldn't you put five to six goals away? on Olympia like that? Shouldn't they have done that? Should have, shouldn't they? Because I like to think they should. But they didn't. And in my mind, you just have to say that maybe the mentality in the early rounds is not there. I mean, look what Cruz Azul did. I can definitely point out Cruz Azul took their opponents seriously. They smashed eight past Arcania of Haiti in the second leg. They didn't need any away goals. They just took, they said, look, come to our house. We'll destroy you then, and then you can go home saying you did your best. But in my mind, what they have done, Club America, their egos are too big, too strong, and they're going to get knocked out. And we saw what happened last, the last tournament against Los Angeles Football Club, up 1-0, forcing a red card to put LAFC down to 10 men, but it was one of their own who plays for LAFC in Carlos Vela, and he smashed two past them. And he basically said, yeah, I'm one of you, but guess what? Who I play for? I play for this club in the United States, and I took you down. So if that's what Club America wants to do, they want to play these silly games, let them play these silly games. And if they get knocked out by a Honduran side, a Costa Rican side, an El Salvadorian side, maybe a Caribbean side that will have enough cojones to say, you know what, we're going to take down the giant and you will feel our wrath, good luck because you're going to need it. You're going to need it, Club America. If you can't do the job, then you don't deserve to be in this tournament. You got away easy with the away goal rule, but still, though, I have to say it, you guys got lucky because if they would have gotten a second, you 
would have been dead in the water. Dead in the water. Because I'm telling you right now, if they took the lead on aggregate, 3-2, and then you know you tie it up on aggregate, 3-3, three, three, what's going to happen? You lose on away goals. You will lose on away goals. Maybe forced, maybe have an overtime being forced. All I can tell you guys is this: dead in the water. Be grateful you advanced on away goals, because I'm telling you right now, Club America, if you think you're going to get away with all of this, uh-uh. One day, you'll be humiliated, you'll be eliminated from the round of 16, and then we will all be asking you, not just within your borders, but on the other side of the southern border, what happened to the great Club America? You got beat by a Honduran side. Do yourselves a favor, take that early round seriously, and stop messing around. That's all I have to say about that, folks. Just stop messing around, Club America. Stop messing around. Stop it. It's just amazing what these clubs in Mexico, especially the big-time clubs, they get lucky. They get very, very lucky that they do not lose when they are on the verge of losing, but they find a way to hold on. And, of course, we all know about Club Leon, how uh, they had a decent, well, I wouldn't say this time around they had a decent first leg, but, you know, Toronto gives them a game, and then they get eliminated again in the first round, in the round of 16. So all I can say is is that uh, if Club Leon continues to play like this, Forget it. It's just not worth. It's not worth the time to qualify for the tournament. Don't even bother. Why do you even have to bother? Don't do it. Let someone else have that spot. Give it to somebody else. Plain and simple. Give it to somebody else. And we will see how you like it. That's all I can say about that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to move forward. It's time to have some fun. It's time to go out and talk to our, uh, my friends, my colleagues, when we talk about, of course, the CONCACAF Champions League, we have to talk about the one and only club, of course, in the South that has done a very good job within MLS. It's been a little hectic so far when it comes to uh, these CONCACAF Champions League games. But, you know, what you got to do is you got to go out and you got to do your job. They did their job. They're advancing. They're moving on to the quarterfinals. And as we get ready 
to uh, have some fun. My first guest, let's try to bring him on uh, tonight. He is the one and only Jason Longshore. 92.9 FM, the game, radio analyst for uh, Atlanta United FC on the radio in uh, Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, as we get ready to kick off this second leg review show party in the round of 16. Jason Longshore joins me. Jay, good evening, and how are you? Doing well down here in Atlanta. How are you, Daniel? Doing very well. Doing very well. Um, You know, two positive results for Atlanta. You get a goal each in both results. You win on aggregate 2-0, 1-0 on away goals. But if I can ask this question, um, and obviously playing a club – like you did in Aluenza, that you expected a hard-nosed battle. Were you shocked at not just the performances by Aluenza, uh, but were you also shocked that it was this close? No, not really, because when the draw happened, I think I told you that you know, they were the team outside of getting Club Leon, which, which nobody wanted to get because they were the Mexican team that, that an MLS team could be drawn with. You wanted to avoid that one. Outside of that, Alawalense was the best team in the bracket on the other side of it. They were, were coming in off of a CONCACAF League victory. They were coming in off of a, a, a Costa Rican League title. They came into the Atlanta series 25 straight unbeaten now, that run was starting to slow down towards the end of things before the Atlanta matches because they were having a bunch of draws. They had drawn three in a row at home. They had guys away with the U23s during Olympic qualifying. Then they had guys called up to the senior national team, which ended up being a problem, as we saw in the second leg. But we knew they were going to be quality. Um, Where I was really impressed with Alawalense was in that second leg, where they had to rotate their lineup and see some different faces in the team. And they put up an amazing fight and made it very difficult for Atlanta United to control the match. I thought Alavalenze made it difficult. I think the quality came through eventually, and Atlanta ended up, you know, 180 minutes not conceding a goal. You'll take that. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, The one concern I had, maybe I shouldn't have had, but, you know, the one concern I did have in the second leg was the goalkeeper situation. We all saw what happened in the first leg. Brad Guzan um, overslid on his tackle, uh, got his man, got the red card, sent off in the second half. And uh, all I can tell you is that, to me, I thought, I mean, Khan was pretty good before Guzan came over, but Khan hasn't seen any first-team minutes, um, you know, in a very long time. And I was a little worried that he might have some rust uh, in his game, but he looked solid. He looked good. Well, no, it's a tricky situation right now because you, you don't have Alec can. He's coming off of off-season shoulder surgery, so he hasn't oh. started full training yet. 
Ben Lungard was signed from Atlanta United, too, coming into the season, but he was injured in preseason, so he wasn't available. So they had to do the short-term call-up for Rocco Rios Novo, who's on loan with the team from Lanús in Argentina. Now, Rocco made the trip, wasn't expected to play, but you have the red card to Gazan, and he has to see the field in in leg one. Then the question going into leg two was, would Lungard be able to recover in time to play? And, and he was not. He was able to recover in time to be on the bench. So Rocco gets the start in game two, and it's now a recurring thing going into the MLS season where they've had to use the, another short-term agreement to bring Rocco Rios Novo on the trip to Orlando for tomorrow because Lungard's had a recurrence of his injury. So situation for Atlanta is a little complicated at the moment. You get Brad Gazan back in CONCACAF for Philadelphia, but, you know, you get a performance out of the teenager in Rocco Rios Novo, who, you know, by all accounts, there is a purchase option on his loan from Lanus, and with six saves in leg one in a little over a half, and one save, but a lot of composure on the ball in possession, He's a guy that you might have to look at long-term for maybe a a long-term replacement down the road for Brad Kazan. His performances were that good here in Atlanta and CONCACAF. No, they really were, uh, I have to say. Um, But, you know, of course, that question always comes up. You know, is it time for Atlanta to move on? from this starting goalkeeper you've had for so long, obviously. And Brad, Brad Guzan's had a hell of a career, you know, originally in MLS, squad, uh, Chief of USA in L.A., uh, played in England, and they came back to be with Atlanta. And, you know, is it time to make that move? Of course, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, uh, you know, my concern, of course, was the communication between the goalkeeper and the back line as you said, he had composure. He probably had a very good conversation with his back line mates, and they just did the job. How about that goal that came in the second half stoppage time by Mon? Uh, very confident on the ball, especially the team up with Bar- with uh, Ezekiel Barco. Yeah, it's, it's a good goal to finish things off. I mean, I think that maybe Atlanta fans were a little surprised at how difficult it was to find the back of the net. There were a lot of chances created. In leg two, uh, 12 key passes. Uh, Brooks Lennon was dangerous down the right side again, but they just could not find the answer in front of net until the very end. I thought one of the changes that Gabriel Heinze made at halftime that really turned the game in the second half and gave Atlanta more control was getting Ezekiel Barco into the middle of the field, playing him as a central midfielder. And, and in this 4-3-3 that Atlanta's going to play this year, Barco as one of the attacking central midfielders will will be a handful for a lot of teams in the league. You saw what he could do on the run there. I think he's going to goal himself. He slightly overhits the dribble as he rounds the goalkeeper. Uh, Jurgen Dom's there to finish it off. I think generous in that moment. Let's Jurgen have it. It's Dom's first goal in an Atlanta shirt. And it's a nice way to cap off. I think a hard 180 minutes, but ultimately, you know, when you beat the defending Costa Rican champions 2-0, you give up, I think, in total seven shots on goal. You created somewhere around uh, 25 chances in the two games. You're going to take that. And when you had to play over a half with with 10 men, like, you know, it's a performance that maybe there were some who wanted more 
But when you go back at the beginning of it, and if you say you can take a 2-0 win here and this is how it will play out, nobody would say no to that opportunity before the series happens. So I think it's a good, good performance for Atlanta in 180 minutes. I agree. I agree. I saw solid. I thought maybe a little hairy here and there, but, you know, you, you got better uh, position. Uh, just a little bit, not too much, because you don't want to give just a club a like Alouenza an opportunity to level this thing up on uh, away goals or take a lead on away yeah, goals. Yeah, and, and a look, bit. we got we to cover the, the element with the roster situation, and, and it was complicated trying to figure out exactly what was going on. We, we knew that Marcel Hernandez was not going to be able to play in the second leg. That had been decided weeks ago. He wasn't going to be allowed to travel. He's in the midst of a legal issue. Um, he's been accused uh, of sex with an underage girl. It's been dismissed twice, but it's been appealed, and now he's got a case in June, and he can't leave the country. He's been their leading scorer. So you knew that one was going to be an issue. Then it popped up that there were five guys who had visa issues, and and some of them were were key figures. Some of them weren't. That happened, you know, kind of last minute, and it's like, well, all right, what's going on with this? And they they talked about how the procedures had changed to get visas, and and they have because of the pandemic, and, and I don't know if they just waited to the last minute or what. Then they came up a couple of days before the game and said, yeah, these players who played in Europe during the international break for their national teams, because they were in Europe, they're not allowed to even come into the country, which is a policy that had been in place by the White House since the end of January. The draw exactly. was in February. You know, it wasn't That's a right. surprise. And Alo Valenze yeah. tried to have the game rescheduled. They, they you know, filed a complaint. And CONCACAF was pretty strong in their response that we offered help. They didn't ask for help until the very last minute with the, the first set of visa issues. We went into overdrive to help. And then they never asked for help in dealing with the exemptions that are coded into that policy about not allowing people in from Europe if they've been in Europe in the last two weeks. There are exemptions. They didn't ask for any help in dealing with it. So all of them, they waited to the last minute, and there was an administrative breakdown, and they were not at full strength here in Atlanta. They had a good team. They had a lot of players with a lot of experience, but they were missing some key players. And according to CONCACAF, that's all on Ala Valente. That's correct. That's correct. And this is what I like about Victor Montagliani. I don't know if we've talked about this in the past. You know, the restructuring of how CONCACAF deals uh, you know, with these types of situations, you know, the building of now better partnerships with television broadcast, television broadcasters, uh, especially here in the States with their uh, Nations League being broadcasted on the Paramount Plus app through CBS Sports and, and all that fun stuff. I mean, to me, it feels like Victor Montagliani has really been on his game and making CONCACAF not just a, a confederation where um, you know you hope to bring in better players and they'll want to be involved in some of their confederational uh, you know tournaments, whether it's a club tournament or not. But uh, saying, listen, we were here to help you. You didn't want it, and now you're complaining about it. Nope, we're sticking to uh, our rules, our laws of the of, of uh, what has to happen, what doesn't have to happen. So you know you got to give the confederational body uh, a good handshake and a pat on the back for being strong and stern of keeping with their rules. Yeah, you do. I, it feels like CONCACAF is really starting to elevate themselves and, and elevate 
you know, the all of the, the members of the Confederation. And, look, CONCACAF League has been a great event, and it's been, I think, really beneficial to the Caribbean clubs. The Nations League ended up being a much better event than I expected. I think World Cup qualifying so far has gotten off to a great start. We'll get these yep. Nations League semifinals and finals and a Gold Cup, and I like the Gold Cup play-in tournament they're going to do. Like, th- there's so many things that they have upgraded that I feel like CONCACAF's really coming into the modern age. And now we're going to go into quarterfinals that, look, these set up to be maybe the best set of quarterfinals this competition's ever had. You, you have the Atlanta-Philadelphia series, which should be oh, – yeah a huge deal here in the U.S. I hope it gets the attention it deserves. You've got Club America and Cruz Azul who are playing maybe some of the best soccer we've seen from two teams in Liga MX. I mean, both are setting records for their clubs and, and in Liga MX for their recent performances. And you've got Monterrey, who's, who's had as much success in this tournament as anybody. You know, it's going to be a, a fascinating event with the MLS teams coming in well, the Liga MX teams at a level that we typically – you know, haven't even seen from them. It's so it's so good. This is going to be a blast when we get back to these games in a couple of weeks. Exactly. I can't wait for uh, these big moments now. Uh, I think this will be, I believe, the third time you'll have MLS teams facing against each other in this tournament. Um, this is going to be exciting, Jay. This is going to be fun. I know it's going to be big in Atlanta. should be big in Philadelphia to see uh, both your sides going at it. And we all know what's going to happen uh, between uh, Club America and Cruz Azul. But listen, thanks again for coming on. I'll talk to you uh, next Friday. And uh, you have a good night, all right? Thanks again. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. All right, we'll talk soon. Jason Longshore, 92.9 FM, The Game, uh, radio analyst of Atlanta United. It's just been Fun to have uh, Jason Longshore on the show and going forward into this. Next up, of course, we head back up to Toronto, Canada. My good friend Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today, and the Sports Podcasting Network with Kevin Laramie up in Canada. Dwayne, um, maybe a little hairy towards the back end of this second leg in the second half with 10 minutes left. In, on the uh, match clock, but still, though, uh, Toronto pulling out a well-deserved result, ahead on aggregate, three goals to two. I, I guess you might say, uh, you know, Toronto had it in the bag, so to speak, but regardless of uh, the final whistle being blown, Toronto knocks off Club uh, Lyon, and you're going into the quarters. I mean, Bale right won the game 2-1, and then the series 3-2 on aggregate, as you say. So it's, it's you can't really make an argument that they didn't deserve to win it. They they outscored them. That's kind of the bottom line stat that you can put out there, right? Um, look, some might say that uh, Toronto's winning goal off Justin Morrow's back uh, was lucky at best, and, and maybe even shouldn't have counted at worst if you think it hit his arm on the way down. But you could counter that by saying that Toronto had a perfectly legitimate goal called offside in the first half. So. So, you know, tick for tat and everything even done in the end. Look, yeah, it was a great result for what was a TFC team that um, was injury-plagued or at least very cautious. One or the other, you can guess which one that is, depending on your perspective of what you think they think of this competition this year. Uh, they put the kids out there to, you know, trial by fire, and, and, and the kids did okay. And, uh, you know, Michael Bradley, I think, is not a kid, and uh, he was the key to this in a lot of ways. He was everywhere. He looked 25 again. 
Now, whether he can sustain that all year is a whole other conversation, but in these two games, it's best Michael Bradley's probably played since that 2017 championship season, and that's something that uh, TFC fans are excited to see. And, you know, not that we're going to get into this conversation right now, but maybe even U.S. national team fans might be at least partially excited to see. you got to use your whole lineup there, guys. You can't get too caught up in the past. Uh, a lot of a lot of games. But at any rate, um, good result for TFC and uh, exciting times for them to, to get a couple extra games to, to play against um, – uh, Cruz Azul, a team they beat in the past before. So, hey, hope's eternal. Exactly. Let me ask you this. I mean, you know, you always talked about, um, you know, these kids that Toronto FC has been developing, you know, their, 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 their club down in USL League One and, you know, all the Canadian kids that they've developed locally in the Ontario, Toronto area. I know this is Club Leon, and obviously this is only the first round of the tournament this year, but how proud are you, not just as a Toronto a guy from Toronto, but as a Canadian, how proud are you to see these kids growing up so quickly, being thrown into the fire like this in a very important setting for Canadian soccer, especially for Toronto and, you know, Ontario soccer, to have these kids, you know, in the big spotlight of international tournament, regardless of where they were in the backyard of Walt Disney World? Yeah, I'm proud is a, a, you know maybe you know I don't personally know these guys, but but certainly I'm I'm uh, excited to have it affirmed to me that that the talent is here, and and I've always said here and in my own show and, and elsewhere that you know if we could channel the talent in, in the Greater Toronto area, forget the rest of the country, in the Greater Toronto area, Canada should have enough talent to to get out of this region in a World Cup, and and I think you saw evidence of that there, and and what TFC's done since Bill Manning came in. Is they've kind of changed up their their academy a little bit. They always had, uh, you know, an academy going right from 2008. They had an academy, so they've been there almost since the beginning. But they didn't really put an emphasis on it uh, until Manning came in. Obviously, Manning came from from RSL, where they had to rely on the academy there, and were well known in the early days of being one of the first adapters to it. And and they put a big emphasis on on getting those kids playing time. Um, and their system goes all the way down. Uh, well, they have TFC One, obviously the senior team. We know about them, but TFC Two and in, in, uh, USL League One now, or uh, whatever the level of the championship is called. I, they changed their name so much, I forget what they call themselves. But um, that level, and they also have a TFC Three team, which plays a you know a, a equivalent of the PDL or, or in the um, US Academy system at any rate, or used to play in League One Ontario up here. So they they have teams all the way down right there to U12, like a lot of clubs, but they play them. And they play them competitively, and they get them a lot of time. And if you look at what they've been doing at, you know, the Dallas uh, Dallas Cup and and other uh, youth tournaments, they've been winning those things. Like they were the under-17 champions a couple of years ago at uh, at the GA uh, event. So there's a lot of talent there, and we're seeing that play out now finally, and and get the opportunity to play the first team. And I think that a big part of why I don't think they were upset when Greg Vanny left. Greg Vanny was you couldn't fire him. Right, like he was a fixture here, and you know I loved work or loved um, covering Greg Vanny. He's a very thoughtful guy, a guy that I'll miss. But, but I think when I look at it objectively, that for what Alec Curtis and Bill Manning want to do with TFC, which is to combine the spend with with that youth pathway they have, which is as good as any of the big cities in North America, um, they kind of needed. Vanny out of the way. <laughs> when he decided he wanted to go back home, they were they happy to have that. And 
and that kind of informed their hire when they can bring a guy like Chris Ramos in who comes from a system where they play that way and they're accepting of the idea of playing the kids and taking those risks. Um, it really does lend itself to that. And, and I've always been, I think I told you this last week, uh, pretty high on TFC more than most. Um, and I was even before this result because I, I do trust these kids and I know they're good. Uh, and, you know, not everyone's going to be name recognition with them. So I recognize why people don't pick TFC higher right now until they see these guys play. But after you watch that and watch what they do against Leon, like, you know, how can you not think TFC is going to be a top half team? They're missing five regulars, you know, <laughs> like, and they still went out and beat a League X team. So it, it, it was a significant marker in the season. And uh, if they can get healthy and, you know, keep those kids playing and, and keep that system and that energy up there, there, there's going to be a lot of depth that they can tap into, which will allow guys like Josie, guys like Michael, um, guys like Jonathan Rosario, Marky Delgado, although he's going to be Mark now. I should say Mark Delgado. It's going to be hard for me to do that. But uh, all those guys that are a little bit older to – although Mark Delgado is not that old uh, – to um, step up and, and be consistent through the back half of the season when it gets real important. And, and you know, that, that's why I think it's a, a valuable sort of lesson that we learned. Uh, do I think TFC is going to beat Cruz Azul? I, I still lean no, but – I don't know why you would say it's impossible. They just beat a better team. Well, a team that was champion last year, right now. So they're they're in this. And if they win, you know, they had to win four beat four Mexican teams likely to win this competition when the draw was made, and everyone said that was impossible. Well, they only have to beat three now, and if they beat a second one, then it's only two. You know what I mean? It gets a little easier for uh-huh. so long. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, but uh, I, I will say this: that's a tall task. If you got to take on four consecutive Liga MX sides, I think you know as well as I do, that's a very tall task. And well, I mean, not saying Toronto can't do it, but if they have enough luck on their side, they could probably pull it off. So we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. But once again, um, you know, you get two goals in the second half of the, of the second leg, um, and you're up three goals to one. And then, of course, uh, that one unlucky moment where uh, that little breakdown happened uh, on your end, uh, on Toronto's defensive end, Navarro made a 2-1 in the match. Of course, they pulled in ahead on away goals. So that's the one issue. I shouldn't say pulled ahead. They, they leveled it on away goals at the time. But still, though, if they get that second goal, and that's an away goal, then Toronto's in deep trouble, and then you have to score two. And obviously it didn't happen, but that would have been a nightmare for Toronto if that did. Yeah, no, look, the last 10 minutes, the legs were, were rubbery for sure. And, you know, they were putting in basically the 27, 28, 29 guys in the roster depth to kill that game off, <laughs> you know, and that's, and those guys are, are going to get a lot of time at TSP2 this year. And they, they showed that they can step up on a night, but, you know, it, it was a tall ask against a team that was, you know, in seasonal form. Um, but they got it done. And, you know, Alex Bono, who I'm not the biggest fan of, if anyone knows me, knows that I don't trust his game. But what he can do is make big saves. And he made a huge save at the end of that game. So it was uh, it was a lot of stuff to, to be excited about. And, um, you know, we look forward to the game against Montreal on Saturday. And then we're back at it pretty quick in, uh, in that Cruz Azul series. So uh, it's a long time without games. So they're coming fast and furious. I say this as I watch a uh, nil-nil draw between Houston and San Jose live play out for the opening game of the season. So exciting times here. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait for the season to get underway. Of course, it already has with those two clubs tonight. And, of course, the rest of the league will start up uh, tomorrow on uh, April the 17th. And then on Sunday, April the 18th, with the uh, nationally televised games of both ESPN and Fox Sports 1. So it should be exciting. Of course, TSN handles everything in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, gets French language TVA. 
sports, so that should be fun to uh, watch and see what's going to happen. But uh, as you said, Dwayne, uh, Cruz Azul is no stranger to Toronto FC. Uh, maybe some different uh, components with Cruz Azul, just like Toronto has. Do you see Chris Armas using those kids again for the uh, quarterfinal matches? Uh, yeah, uh, if it comes to it. Uh, you know, obviously, if you know Alexander Pozuelo is available, you're going to plug him in there above some of them, right? If but I do think that, uh, especially at the wide, the wide positions, you'll see him utilize the younger players all season. Um, he's proven that he, he's willing to do that in New York. And, and beyond that, tactically speaking, the way that TFC wants to play, which is a high-energy sort of press game, yeah, you, you got to use those kids a little bit. So, so I, I don't think that the, you know, particularly a guy like Jacob Schaffelberg, who uh, started both games and played the, the full 90, I believe, in both games, uh, out in the on the right wing, uh, in the position that uh, Pablo Piatti played last year, you know he he wasn't as I said on my own show he was maybe eighty percent of what Piatti gave you. But if you can get a kid on you know no cap hit, giving you eighty percent of what a DP player was, and then you can re reinvest that DP in the summer in a position of more need, which I think might be you know up top in the nine position because we all understand Josie's not necessarily going to be healthy all the time. Um, then. You know, that's a win-win for everyone involved. So, so I expect a guy like Schaffelberg might be a regular starter this year. You know, there there might be some value on your fantasy teams, folks, if you're if you're looking for that kind of tip from me, because I think he's going to play some regular minutes. He already has an assist in CCL. So, so Jacob Schaffelberg, you'll probably get him pretty cheap. There you go. <laughs> and uh, two matches in. What do you think about Armas right now? I know it's only been two matches in, but what do you think of them right now? Um, obviously, I like the enthusiasm. <laughs> He was, you know, very much in, involved in those games. Uh, you know, I like my managers to have a nice sense of, of fashion on the sideline. You know, if I'm going to watch these guys all the time, and Greg Vanny certainly had that, so I, I, he would look sharp in his white, uh, white uh, jer- jersey, <laughs> his white dress, dress shirt there. So, so that was good. Uh, you know, it's the important things like that, Daniel, that I bring to shows like this. But, uh, you know, two games is a little early, but I, I do think there's a lot of promise with the tactics he brings. And more to the point, he's going to be able to uh, to play those kids, which, you know, from both a TFC perspective and a development perspective, I'm pretty excited about. Like, I mean, we here in Toronto have been pretty spoiled since 2014. You know, we, we weren't spoiled at all for the previous years, so we kind of earned those years. But now it you know, kind of having that middle ground where we have something new to look forward to and something to to watch when we're not, it's not predictable where you can't, you know, have your cat fill out the lineup sheet like they could have for a few times in 2017, uh, then this is a good thing. And I think Chris Armas adds a little, uh, a little um, newness to it, which is kind of fun to watch. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll reevaluate him a little further in the season. Uh, obviously he had a short sprint of success at New York where he won well, he continued to win the shield, I guess is the way to put it. And then that didn't yep. last all that long. So uh, we'll see. But uh, so far, so good. Yep, so far, so good. I agree with you there. Um, one last thing, though. Obviously, uh, the situation with Aluenza not able to bring up some players due to, uh, of course, uh, coronavirus and uh, other um, legal disputes. The way that Victor Montagliani, and obviously he was the head of Canadian Soccer Association before taking up uh, the presidency of the Confederation, um, you know, I marvel at how he has really uplifted this Confederation and is trying to make it grow and make 
sense of everything he's done, you know, firm hand, uh, understandable with, you know, discussion of uh, how to conduct business for this confederation. In your mind, how good of a job do you think he has done so far? Um, Victor's going to be president of FIFA one day, mark my words. Uh, Yeah, he's a very good politician, too, and that's important in his role. He's able to sort of bring a lot of of diverse opinions and a lot of um, differences and sort of realities together. And and CONCACAF is a region that really requires that because obviously you have the United States, Mexico, and, and not so much on the field, but in terms of wealth up here as well. Uh, which are at a totally different level than some of those small Caribbean nations and, and certainly Central America. And he has to sort of balance that. And he does a great job. And, and one of the best things he's done on the pitch is to is to create more opportunities and more opportunities to play. And you see it with the Nations League, which I know is not the biggest, you know, U.S. fans, Mexican fans in particular aren't as enamored with it as maybe, and I understand that because they're used to playing, you know, big name friendlies in these breaks. But here's, you know, I hate to break it to you guys. Europe's gone with the Nations League, so you're not going to get those big game friendlies as, as much anyway. So Victor was able to pivot pretty quickly and set this up, which absolutely benefits the region overall because it gives the smaller nations more chances to play. I'm not a big fan of what they're doing with the with the Champions League changes. Um, I think it overly favors the Liga Mexi and, and MLS teams, but um, he certainly is giving more teams into it, which is what the purpose is. Uh, you know, he's talked about starting a women's Champions League, which is a little hard to see how that works. It's essentially an NWSL competition for a while, but you got to start somewhere. Um, you know, I don't know. I'd probably bring, what, three Mexican teams, four NWSL teams, and another team in, and you play a little tournament, and that's that's a good thing. But it, all of that stuff is is just getting these players more opportunities to play in the smaller nations. And that can only help the bigger nations too. You know, it's the rising tide theory, right? And right. that's a good thing. As I said, I started this conversation by saying, he's going to be, you know, he has to win the political race there, but he absolutely has aspirations. I believe from talking to him for years and from seeing what he's doing to run for, for the highest office of all. And you got to do a good job at this level to, to solidify your support here. And so far he has. And, uh, you know, I don't know what that means for North American soccer if that happens, but uh, it's hard not to like what he does sometimes. I, I, I love what he's been doing. I think he's been doing a great job so far. So, Dwayne, I'll talk to you next Friday, and uh, good luck in the quarterfinals. Cool. Thanks, bud. No problem. You two take care. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today, and part of the Sports Podcasting Network with Kevin Laramie. Join me now. Down the road for me on I-95 is, of course, Matt Ralph's brotherly game on the Philadelphia Union. They handled their uh, big-time opponents, of course, which was Deportivo Saprissa with a huge second-leg victory against one of the top clubs in Costa Rica. And uh, what can you say, Matt? Um, a 4-0 destruction over Deportivo Saprissa. And once again, this is a match where you have to say uh, Jim Curtin was ready for it. The Union were ready for it. They did not uh, have a bad minute at all. And uh, you win on aggregate 5-0, 1-0 on away goals. If you are satisfied with your message, press 1 to listen to your message. Press 2 to... Not there. I thought I had Matt on the air. Hold on one second. Let's see if we can... uh, I can quickly get him again. Uh, We're going to send the uh, information. 
see what happens as we try to get Matt Ralph back uh, on the uh, line here. Let's see if we can get him on, uh, and hopefully he'll be ready to go, and uh, we'll have some fun with him. But once again, Philadelphia Union, um, first time ever in the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, not to say, you know, I didn't expect them to do anything, but, you know, this is a good start for them. And uh, I, I really believe that they've had... Uh, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. There we go. Try to get him back again as quickly as we can. Uh, of course, to talk about Philadelphia Union... But once again, um, you know, give Jim Curtin a lot of credit uh, in this one. Um, had a great game plan, attacked Saprissa, did the job going forward. Um, Jamiro opens the scoring the 47th minute. Casper Shabilko, 51st. And then Fontana, Anthony Fontana, the 55th. And then Jamiro does it again uh, in the 90th minute, gets a penalty, and uh, makes it uh, two goals for himself uh, in this matchup. And then, of course, he uh, converts the, uh, the brace. And Philadelphia, 4-0 in the second leg, 5-0 all on aggregate with one away goal down in, down in Costa Rica. Uh, Jim Curtin really believed Jim Curtin right, has done an excellent job. I'll get back. And of having a problem right now uh, with Matt Ralph uh, not uh, available at the moment. So hopefully we'll get him on as quickly as possible uh, to have him talk about the Philadelphia Union uh, as we are going to move forward here very soon. But, um, you know, once again, um, this is going to be exciting. And let's see now. We're going to try that again. Give him a call. Let's see if he'll pick up this time because we want to talk about the Union, their first trip ever, international club competition going forward. And as we see now, maybe we have him on now. Matt, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Uh, We'll just uh, check market as too much partying. Gotcha. Anyway, four <laughs> nil in the second leg, five nil on aggregate altogether. Um, you know, not saying I was worried about the union, but you know, first ever, uh, you know, first time ever in the Champions League, and uh, this was a very solid and strong performance by the union. And you have to be really proud of uh, Jim Curtin and your, and the union players going out there and uh, pulling off a job like that. Yeah. You know, it was, like you said, it's the first time in international competition, you know, they, they, they could have gotten more out of the first game and, and didn't. And then the first half had chances and didn't, didn't finish those. So to, get a little bit of a gift of a penalty and then, um, you know, to kind of basically put, put a ball in the net and then just keep scoring. And I mean, Montero had just an unbelievable game. Um, you know, even, you know, he had the goals and assists, but just his, his coverage of the field defensively and just so many of the things he did in that game was just, uh, you know, that was, that was honestly, that was probably the most fun, fun thing about the game was just watching him, 
have the kind of performance that he had. I mean, just 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 stood up, basically stood on his head all night. So <laughs> it was uh, it was it was exciting. It was fun for the fans. You know, they had a few more than they they've had in the past. Uh, you know, a few more than were there for this, the Sporter Shield win and the, the the playoff game. So you know, it was a it's still a little anticlimactic. You know, releasing uh, dismissing people by rows and stuff. But <laughs> but it, you know, it was it was a fun night for sure. That's great. And what was the feeling in the Philadelphia area, especially in downtown Philadelphia? Um, what was the feeling of, you know, here's an opportunity to knock off a, a very tough opponent in, you know, in, in a Costa Rican team that has been very strong in their own country, has done some things internationally, uh, that, that does have international players on their national team, of course. Uh, what was the feeling like in Philadelphia and especially the surrounding areas about, you know, this type of game that had to be played. Yeah, I think it's it's still it's still relatively. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's it, uh-huh. it still relatively new to to to, to Philadelphia fans. That was the first time, certainly. I mean, one of the things that that I thought was really pretty cool was you know the there were a number of uh, Saprisa fans there. I, you know, talked to some people in the parking lot and. You know, they were they were just excited to to have their team playing in Philadelphia. You know, it's people from New York, from DC, from all from all over. Some people from Philly as well. You know, I, I know some people in the area who you know are Saprisa and Union fans. So, uh, you know, I didn't get the, I didn't run into them at the game. So I assume they're rooting for the Union, but uh, maybe maybe not. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it was exciting. Uh, you know, definitely for you know, I, I still think it's since it's early days for the team in the competition. Um, I think there's still some explaining to do um, in terms of like the local media and stuff, but uh, you, you definitely, there was um, a lot of excitement um, amongst the sort of the diehard fans who have, who have followed this competition and, you know, you know, to see, to see their team in it uh, finally, after all these years, I mean, uh, you know, this is, this is something that the sons of Ben folks have talked about, you know, since 2010, you know, so uh, to have them in the in the competition after you know 11 years of being in the league and, and and fighting for that kind of recognition and just the you know the opportunity to be on that platform to be on that stage and then to have it be the first you know first home game of 2021 and you know for them to come out and you know to to, to play the way they did you know cer- certainly uh, Saprisa fans uh, you know have every reason to be upset with the, the just the state of their team right now. Um, you know, with the the you know the the losing streak, they haven't won a game in any competition in a very long time. And you know, it didn't it didn't seem like they were going to score a goal. They had they had a pretty good chance uh, second half, but I mean, it just they just don't seem to be a team that is is that dangerous. Um, and uh, defensively, just you know, some really you know really silly plays that that, that really uh, cost them the game uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's the silliness of this competition. Sometimes, you know, you're gonna get the yeah, yeah. I mean, you're your left back. I mean, you're left back playing playing a guy on, you know. So uh, you know, it's just it's just some things uh, where, uh, but you know, it's exciting. It's exciting the, the the nature of the competition and how it does, uh, you know, it does kind of bring out a bring out a crowd. Uh, it would be interesting to see what you know if what the crowd would have looked like if they you know there wasn't limits on them and. A lot of people I talked to were like, "How do you get tickets?" I'm like, "I don't know. I, I think that already passed. So uh, if you didn't get yeah. a, if you didn't get contacted, you probably not get tickets. So 
Um, yeah. But no, it is. It, 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 it's exciting to sort of see that uh, that aspect of it as well. No, I agree. I mean, you like to see that. So let me ask you this question. And obviously, let me just say this right now. You have seen the Union face Atlanta United many, many times in league play. Now it's a different game. It's a different ball of wax. Now this is going to be a two-leg series where you don't have to travel far. You just have to go your regular route on the plane or on the train, depending on which way you go. You know, you can always take Amtrak down uh, to Atlanta on the uh, Crescent. But what's it going to be like to face on the MLS side in international cup competition? This is either the third or the fourth time this was bound to happen. Yeah, I mean it's it's an intriguing matchup, you know. I think uh I think people will look at Atlanta's record last year and uh, you know and say whatever they'll draw whatever conclusions. I'm not drawing any conclusions from that uh last season and you know they, these teams haven't pl- they didn't play each other in 2020. So, um there's I think there's 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 some question marks in terms of how how they will match up. I mean a lot has changed since October of 2019 when they were playing each other in the playoffs down in Atlanta. So, um, you know, and that was a disappointing uh, result for, for the union and uh, certainly union fans haven't forgotten that, uh, that loss, you know, it came on the heels of their first ever, the, the team's first ever playoff victory. And, you know, just to kind of go down there and not really, um, you know, not get, you know, it was a two nil loss, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't even one of those losses where you're like, okay, they played well, but it didn't work out. You know, it just, it was one of those games where it just, I mean, it was not that they weren't in it. It just, it just was pretty demoralizing loss. And, you know, now that, you know, they're, they're, they're very different teams than they were in 2019. So um, I think it's a, it's an intriguing matchup just because that, you know, there's um, I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, they're also playing them. (laughs) in league play in May too. So uh, they got a couple of games in, in Atlanta uh, on the schedule now, but um, I mean, it, it, it'll be, it'll be cool, you know, and I think from a neutral standpoint, um, I mean, I would hope that most neutral people would be rooting for the union, um, but um, you know, just, you know, the idea that like one of these two teams is going to represent the league uh, in the next round. So that's, that's always, uh, if you're a league, if you're a, a root for the league kind of guy, which I'm, I tend to, tend to be a homer myself, but, uh, you know, you, you know, you already know one of these teams is going to go through. Um, I would, again, I would think the, the, the neutral might pull for Philadelphia because they haven't been in this, this, this competition before. And, and, and they're definitely the team coming out of last year that has a little, had a little more buzz about them than, than Atlanta with, uh, with their poor, uh, poor re- record in, in, in league play last year. Yeah, that's true too. You'll be heading down to Atlanta on the 27th of April, and then uh, you'll be hosting the second leg back at Subaru Park on May 4th. Uh, anything else about the uh, this past matchup you've had with uh, Deportivo Surpresa? Uh I mean, Jim Curtin, once again, I think he's done a great job so far. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's unfortunate that both Costa Rican teams had the issues that they had. I mean, Jim um, you know, you know, said it too. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that Saprisa wasn't able to come up with a full full strength squad, and um, you know, it, you know, it's it, it, you know, COVID tests. You know, Kendall. I mean, the Kendall Watson thing is still a head scratcher. Um, 
because he traveled to Europe with the, the national team that he wasn't allowed in. And, you know, there's a whole, whole drama around that. But um, I think, you know, for, for, again, for, for Jim to sort of, you know, get to experience this now as a coach and to, um, you know, it's almost in some ways because it wasn't a full strength Supriza squad. It, it was almost like, it almost kind of feels like a dress rehearsal a little bit for them, just like kind of getting this, this experience under their belt and then getting the confidence. Cause I think conf- and I think confidence is so important. And you've seen it, you've seen it in this competition, you've seen it in open cup you, where it's, it's a totally different animal than the league. And it's even funny to kind of see people saying like, Oh, you know, you know, pretty high on the union now in this competition, but like, yeah, they'll probably lose to Columbus, you know, it's like, to, so, you know, it, and that's the nature of, you know, when you have a you know, different competitions going on at once, like teams find a groove and they find, um, you know, and I think, you know, there's, you definitely can't downplay the, you know, the importance of getting a big win, winning 5-0 in aggregate and how much confidence that gives these players and how much belief it gives them, uh, you know, in each other and as a team, uh, to you know, to go on and you know, take on whoever is next, and you know that was the, that was the, the confidence that you saw when when the Union beat Atlanta in in in, uh, in Chester during the regular season in 2019. Right. You know, it's sort of the you know that swagger that they have when you know when they're doing well and they're playing well, and so I think that 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 bodes well. I mean, they didn't um, you know. There's no there's no reason to be upset with how the union played, and sometimes when teams advance, you're, you're, there's lots of things you can find wrong with how they advance, um, and that's not the case. And I think uh, you know you have you know J- Jamiro basically you know put his stake in and said, hey, I'm, I, this is I'm here to play, and you're going to have to figure out a way to for me not to beat you if you're going to if you're going to get through to the next round. So. Uh, that's exciting. I mean, I think Union fans really want, you know, they want Jamira to be that guy. He's the only DP on the roster, and you know, and sometimes like, you know, it, you know, you don't. He doesn't have. I don't think he's a guy that has to score goals, but when he does, it like it just boosts the team even more. And um, you know, it's just it's one of those things where, um, I mean, he's he. I've appreciated him. Fans have appreciated him for a lot of things he does. Like. You know, he he creates without even touching the ball sometimes, but and just the yeah. way he closes down defend uh, closes down de- defensively and just he does so many things. But then to sort of add that dimension to it, um, it's exciting and it's you know star players when they when they show up, <laughs> you know I think it just it just it just lifts the whole the whole thing and I think um, it becomes um, you know it's hard to look at his performance and not get kind of giddy about what the potential is if he is continues to sort of have that, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, that approach and just that, like, you know, just, you know, doing everything he can to, to, to get, to get, to get the team through the next round. So a lot of confidence, a lot of reasons to be happy and excited about this competition. And, uh, you know, it's, yep. uh, now it's time to beat up on a rival too. <laughs> For, a rival <laughs> exactly. they haven't played since 2019. <laughs> Yep, exactly. All right, Matt, I'll talk to you uh, next Friday in the quarterfinal first leg review, and uh, good luck uh, in your match, and I'll talk to you uh, next week. Great. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Thank you. Matt Ralph, Brotherly Game, SB Nation. Uh, and once again, they defeat Deportivo Saprissa by final four goals to nil in the second leg, 5-0 on aggregate. Joining me now, of course, uh, covers the Columbus crew, also for SB Nation for the Massive Report. 
my good friend Patrick Gouldan joins me. Pat, um, I mean, basically, Columbus just had to do what they had to do. It was 90 minutes of their time to uh, go out, hold that lead, hold that aggregate lead, and uh, you get a fifth goal, of course, from Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, someone that I know knows how to play in the International Cup competition, has scored some big goals, and uh, Columbus moves on to the quarterfinals, defeating Real Esteli. Yeah, it's, um, they just needed to hold on for 90 minutes. I, I don't think anybody was in doubt of how that was going to go after they, they put uh, four uh, down in Nicaragua. Uh, and then, you know, they they, pulled, you know, they rotated heavily. Um, it was a lineup where uh, you had uh, Isaiah Parente getting his first start, Grant Lillard uh, in unfortunate circumstances making his debut for the team, Matthew Berry making his debut for the team in the second season. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, minutes managed for a lot of different players like, you know, Artur, Harrison Offal, um, you know, Lucas Elleron, Milton Valenzuela coming on in the second half that, uh, you know, the, the team was able to really kind of set the lineup so that they could uh, look towards Sunday. Uh, you know, I know, uh, Caleb Porter wanted the win, but he was willing to cede a little bit of that uh, to really kind of gear up for, for Sunday so that they had a strong lineup to, to face off against Philadelphia. And, yeah, uh, Monterey is next. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a test. Um, anytime you're playing uh, a Mexican team, it's, it's, uh, it's challenging. The, the environments are challenging. And uh, they did set the date on that. That is uh, Wednesday the uh, 28th at uh, Historic Crew Stadium, and then they go to Monterey the next Wednesday, the 5th, um, Cinco de Mayo, uh, on, uh, at, at 8 p.m. And so, you know, the, that, those are the, the international dates that the crew have to go as the season ramps up. So it's, it's going to be um, a balancing act and one that they've uh, kind of taken care of so far. You know, I have to say, bringing Bradley Wright Phillips over – uh, and I can't stop gushing about Brad. I mean, obviously, he's been with the New York Red Bulls when he came over about five, six years ago. Uh, and, you know, he nearly uh, almost got Roy Lassiter's record. Of course, he tied along with uh, Chris Wondolowski and, of course, with uh, Roy uh, for 27 goals in the regular season uh, in one year. Of course, we all know who broke that record. But still, though, um, you know, the way he plays, the way that he attacks, the way that he has his mindset on just give him the ball and let him do the damage. I know he scored at least four goals uh, in the last two times that the Red Bulls were in the CONCACAF Champions League. I know he scored an equalizer in the first leg at Red Bull Arena against Vancouver. He had one against uh, Olympia to help win that round of 16 series. He scored two on the road at the... Uh, Club Tijuana uh, over in Mexico to have a 2-0 uh, aggregate lead. And then, of course, he just uh, went basically rough shot all over the second half by being the uh, the helper. To have a guy like Bradley Wright Phillips that has been playing in Champions League here in CONCACAF for the last couple of years, to have that experience in that crew locker room, how important is that to give Columbus that opportunity that I think – are one of the two teams I think can make a run in this tournament. 
Oh, it's it's invaluable to have that that level of experience because uh, you know when uh, Caleb Porter's rolling out his uh, first eleven, his strongest lineup, that that doesn't include Bradley Wright Phillips at this point. But you know to have that veteran presence, to have the awareness, the 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 insight of what it takes to get it done on the international stage. Uh, you have a, a guy like Phillips, uh, uh, Wright Phillips, who's who, who's proven it. You also have a guy like Justice Artis, uh, national team. Uh, has been to Central America, and uh, and and, and uh, so even if you're you know uh, you're you're kind of thick with options there if you're the the crew, uh, but it goes even beyond someone like Wright Phillips who, um, you know he 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 gutted it out for 90 minutes. Uh, it was an ugly game because there wasn't a lot of flow. You know, uh, Rios Ali was was obviously overmatched, but the the, the crew really rotated. But you had a guy like Perry Kitchen who started at center back um, and then moved up to, to midfield uh, pretty early on when Aiden Morris suffered an injury, which uh, does look kind of bad. He was stretched off the field uh, during, the, during the game, and uh, uh, so, so we were kind of awaiting news there, but it's not likely to be good given uh, the situation there. Um, but, you, you know, you have somebody like Perry Kitchen, and he's, uh, he's whispering in ears, uh, during stoppage of play, trying to to make sure that the uh, you know that the younger players are are aware of what they need to be doing or how to to approach a game, um, you know th- this is a this is a veteran team, and uh, you know uh, Caleb Porter, Tim Bezbachenko, Pat Onstad have have really built a lot of depth so that when you know you need somebody who uh, can get on the plane and you know maybe. Pardon me. Maybe Perry Kitchen's not playing that game, or maybe Bradley Wright Phillips is not playing that game. But they're on that bench, and they're able to to provide a little bit of insight or a little bit of metal if they need to come in and uh, really kind of drive uh, the, the the crew forward. And and that comes on on the weekends during the regular season, early in the season. And that you know these, these trips to Central America, these these trips to Mexico, they you know take a lot out of the legs. And so being able to rotate and being able to put on people who have scored over 100 league goals or, or have uh, quite a few uh, starts under their belt and even national team caps, um, that's handy for the team to be able to, to do that where they're able to manage minutes for somebody like Zellerion or, or Pedro Santos who got a, you know, about 15 minutes last night. And so it's, it's really useful to have both that veteran presence and the ability to, to kind of step up when needed. Yeah. I want to pick your brain here for a second, of course. Uh, there was a time when, you know, whenever MLS clubs play in this tournament, it's always against either a club side from Mexico or a club side from somewhere else within the Confederation. Very rarely do we have MLS clubs playing against each other, whether it be U.S. versus U.S. or U.S. versus Canada or vice versa. Um, Atlanta and Philadelphia will be the third time uh, that MLS sides will be facing each other in this current edition of the CONCACAF Champions League. Columbus had that sort of moment against Real Salt Lake in the CONCACAF Champions League. Do you remember that? And what can you say about that series between Columbus and Salt Lake that it was really good to watch? It was a bit unusual because, you know, some of the uh, the, the allure of Champions League is, is you're facing somebody from Nicaragua. I remember this those uh, post-2008 uh, MLS Cup years where uh, the crew uh, went down and got a win in the uh, at Saprissa's home, uh, old home stadium, which, you know, was, was unheard of. And, um, you know, the, the, those are the games that are kind of really electric. 
that that Real Salt Lake game really sticks uh, the series really sticks out in my mind because that was in 2011 and that was right after a lot of the the crew championship era players had left that was the end of the Scalotto era the the uh, end of uh, a lot of those players from the 2008 squad and then it, it was a bunch of new people and you know the, the crew had to scrape for a goalkeeper because of injuries and Ray Burst started that that two game series is only two appearances in in crew colors and it was uh, a February series it was cold uh, you know, Jason Christ was was in charge of Real Salt Lake and uh, he, he was complaining about the the uh, field you know it had snowed previously uh, the the previous couple days not a bunch at Central Ohio so just a little bit but it, you know it, it made it a little bit rough it was a, a little bit heavy uh, a little bit choppy and uh, he was he was complaining about uh, grass in in Central Ohio and in February. The the following week, the the things I remember about that is, uh, you know, it looked like a, um, they had just recently plowed it at uh, Rio Tinto, and uh, that uh, the 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 pitch conditions looked even worse in uh, in Sandy than it did in Columbus that year. So it was an interesting series. Columbus didn't go through. Um, it was a team in transition, but it's definitely this. Even the MLS uh, versus MLS uh, Champions League nights really stick in your memory. Um, you know, so so these nights that I really feel are, are kind of interesting, kind of uh, stick in there. I remember playing uh, the crew playing Puerto Rico, um, and uh, uh, gosh, uh, the old Dallas coach was uh, Clark was in charge of them at the time, or or when. Um, uh, I guess there was a late center from a Costa Rican, uh, no, a Panamanian team that was uh, the crew had kind of controlled it, but then gave it up. And I don't know, there, there's just a lot of those nights, and even those MLS versus MLS matchups are, uh, you know, really stick in there because it's unusual. You know, weird stuff happens in Champions League play, and you know, that that includes uh, these these two-legged series. No, it really does, and it's going to be interesting to watch. And I will say this though, um, you know, like I said, I think uh, I, I pick either Atlanta or Columbus. I think the one of those two teams, uh, I think, can make a very big run into the final. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. But once again, uh, Patrick, you know, Columbus did what they had to do. They beat a, uh, a side that uh, they had to take down. Real Esteli, you took care of business. All away goals in the first leg of those four goals. And then, of course, he just needed one just to cement the, the whole aggregate. But thank you again for coming on. I'll talk to you next Friday. You have a good night. You, have a, you take care, okay? Thanks for having me. You have a good night, too. Thank you, too. Patrick Gouldan, massive report of uh, Columbus Crew on SB Nation. Uh, joined me tonight. Uh, finally, he couldn't come on live this time, but uh, recorded the interview with him. It's Kyle Garcia of Stumptown Footy, also of SB Nation uh, on the Portland Timbers. A oh, excuse me, sorry about that. A five-nil victory at home at Providence Park to cement the aggregate uh, seven to two. Oh, excuse me about that. And um, so, could not have him on live. We have the, the recording. And here is Kyle Garcia right now of Stump Town Footy. Hello, everybody. Once again, this is the 40 Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, the CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 second leg review as we talk about those clubs in Major League Soccer, Liga MX, that advances into the quarterfinals. Of course, this next uh, guest of mine uh, covers the Portland Timbers for Stump Town Footy. 
for one, excuse me, for uh, SB Nation. And of course, it's Kyle Garcia. Of course, Kyle handled the 2-2 draw when uh, the Timbers were down in Honduras. But this time around, it was actually no problem, no worries, 5-0 to make it 7-2 on aggregate. Yep, no, it's a weird feeling to watch a Timbers game and then leave it being there's actually no worries and no doubts throughout the game because, you know, the Timbers played really well. They put they put a team away, and you don't usually, you know, that's always been a big worry of this Timbers squad in its current iteration is can they just put teams in MLS and in extra, you know, outside of league play, can they just put teams away? And, you know, I was really glad to see that they – kept kind of that form of what they had in that first half down in Honduras, and they were able to really capitalize on that and really expand on it and put together a really, really just solid, um, I thought, 90 minutes of soccer, and just, just a great job all around by them. I was pretty impressed. I, I got to say that I think it was an efficient 90 minutes by the Timbers. I thought they were on their game. You know, obviously, being at home is 10 million times different than being on the road, especially with international club competition going forward. Um, you know, when you take on these Central American teams like in Honduras or El Salvador or even in Costa Rica, there's going to be an issue. You don't know what you're in for. You don't know, as they say in the business, how you'll be CONCACAF. But uh, for the Timbers, you know, they played a solid match, business-like, fantastic action, you know, great game plan by Giovanni Savarese. And for Portland, you move on into the quarterfinals. Yeah, and like I think efficient, that's probably the right, that's probably the right and the best word to describe um, Portland's play in that game because, you know, that's exactly what they did. And speaking of kind of like that home, speaking to like that home aspect, I know that's something that the Timbers in general just did. Pressers with Giovanni Savarese earlier this week and Eric Williamson, they were all super excited about the fact that they got to play at home, and specifically in at home in front of fans for the first time in over a year, even if it was only at 25% capacity. Um, it, I'm sure you're well aware of how um, the Timbers Army, even at 25% capacity, they can get pretty loud. And so after that match, they did talk about how it did feel just kind of like good and almost, they don't want to say normal, I bet, but, you know, almost normal to just be able to play in front of fans and give that kind of, get just that kind of morale boost to them. But even beyond that, just from a pure strategy standpoint, it was a very tactical and very well-coached match and well-played and executed by the Timbers players. It was just it was just an overall domination of the route, and that wasn't that's not something that um, we always see a ton of with the Timbers because they just always like to keep us on our toes and just be like, well, are we going to let you win this game by three nil? Are we going to you know give up a couple goals late to make it interesting? So. It was a definitely just a full-on, just an efficient performance from them. Yeah, I'm obviously you got the Chara brothers, Diego and Jimmy, and I gotta say about Jimmy, uh, this was his match to have hat trick in on the night uh, to secure basically uh, the aggregate. Uh, puts in uh, two goals in the first half, that third goal in the second half. I mean, basically no worries by the by Jimmy Chara who. Uh, was really efficient when he had his chances and he put him away. Yeah, Jerry was great, and he played super well, I thought. You know, him and Dyron Espria, who we like to say in 
know, us Timbers fans, we like to say that Dion's, you know, the best player on the Timbers in seasons that start with a prefix. And it, they just, they were connecting, I thought, really well, Dion and Jimmy. And Jimmy's interesting. And when he's on, like, there's just, like, no, he's just on. Like, he had, you know, he'll have these stretches where he'll just, you know, be scoring brace after brace and he'll get, He'll be super involved in the offense and just doing everything on that end. And then um, last year we kind of would see him go on these stretches where he's a little quiet and he's a little more, you know, kind of taking kind of that backseat role. And I think the Timbers are just so clearly at their best when um, Jimmy Char is at the wing, just going out and just weaving beautifully between um, between opponents because he can, when he's doing that and he's on, he can he can just get the you just get the Timbers goals and in, in just like in bunches, and it's impressive. Um, whether that's assisting or that's and you know scoring them himself. So we just saw. I mean, that first goal was an absolute beauty of a shot. I just rewatched it a little bit ago, just while prepping for this appearance, and it's still just as beautiful as it was on Tuesday. Um, oh. Two days later, so he's just you know when Jimmy Chara is on, he's just he's just a monster on the field. Oh, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, he, he was an unbelievable putting those balls away into the back of the net. That was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Diego Valeri made it at the time 3-0, of course, and uh, Jimmy made it 4-0 later on. But uh, Tui Loma makes it 5-0 closer to the end of the match. I mean, basically barely any stoppage time to be given. I mean, what's the point? You know, put it away. It's all over with. 5-0. That's enough. Just blow the whistle. Go home. Uh, Marathon goes home for good. Timbers move on to the quarterfinals, and uh, you're going to be taking on probably one of the toughest clubs in all of Mexico. Uh, if it's not Guadalajara Chivas, it's going to be Club America in Mexico City at the Estadio Azteca. Uh, that's going to be a huge matchup for you guys. Well, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it's going to go. Because America, I still they beat, they just beat Olympia. They lost their last match against them, but won on aggregate. Um, I can't remember what the final was, and but they won on aggregate. Unfortunately, it's escaping me the actual score they got against them. But we got next teams just historically, as anyone who has followed Concacaf for however long it's been around, they just know that Liga MX teams and teams like Club America. They're just tough. They're just tough in general, and they know when to turn it off and when to uh, make it. Uh, and they just know how to make things difficult for anyone they face. So you know, it's been a great run for MLS teams up to this point. I think it's been pretty impressive. It's been great by the Timbers to see them, you know, go to the quarterfinal and play. But they're going to have their hands full again, and they, you know, they're not going to be just you know, this isn't going to be fresh for them either. This isn't going to be just they're going to show up and be like. This is the start of their season. All right, we're just getting ready. We're getting started here against BB Marathon. This is going to be, you know, in the midst of the MLS season, finally getting started, getting their legs going with that. And so they're going to have to, that's just another thing that they'll have to account for. So when it comes to Club America, it's going to be a very, it's going to be a very interesting matchup. I'll say at least I'm, I'm fascinated to think of, with, um, fascinated by the prospect of kind of just seeing um, how the Timbers handle that challenge, especially in the midst of the MLS regular season once that gets going. No, absolutely. And the one thing you have to be concerned about so far, uh, mostly the altitude over at the Estadio Azteca, because, you know, 
the Timbers are going to have to be acclimated, acclimated, acclimated really, really well up in Mexico City. You just have to be thankful it's not going to be during the day because that's when the smog is really at its highest at Mexico City, especially at the Estadio Azteca. So it's really the altitude you got to be careful with and how you're going to be prepared for that because, you know, we have seen many teams going against Club America, and it's not just, you know, club sides against Club America. It's also national teams that have to take on Mexico. That's the home base for the Mexican national team. So I think with Giovanni Severese, he's got some plans to work on, especially the altitude. He's got to get that set up and ready to go for uh, the Timbers because you can game plan all you want against Club America, but if you don't know how to play within altitude, especially there, and luckily it's not La Paz in Bolivia where it's the worst of it at the highest of elevations, um, you know, Club America can definitely sneak in a result if they, even if they don't deserve it or not, or even if they do. Yeah, you know, it's just, just one more thing to account for. And like you said, Geo can come up with the world's best game plan, but that's not going to change the fact that they're going to deal with that high altitude, so... It's just another thing that they have to be prepared for. Pretty, that's all there is kind of to it. But, you know, knowing the Timbers, they have a pretty solid game plan, and they know what they do best. They know who they can get to. They might even be able to have Sebastian Blanco back by this time, hopefully. That would be ideal. So that would just give them another um, option to have. I don't, so I think that's going to be a, something to look out for. And then also even Jeremy Abobasi, depending on how he's doing, once we get an update on how Abobasi is dealing with his hamstring injury that he suffered sometime during the preseason, um, I think that will be key to just kind of like knowing where this team really stands. So that's another thing I just keep thinking about with this team is like we haven't seen them at full strength. We haven't seen them with Blanco, who's arguably their best player, um, depending on how deep, you know, your love for – those Diego's go, and we haven't seen him with Abobasi, who I would say is their best striker, even if Gio doesn't always want to play him at the number nine slot. So I'm just, I think it's just going to be, there's a lot of wrinkles that I think are going to make the quarterfinal really interesting, and the altitude's one of them, but let's see what happens when the Timbers finally are, get themselves back up to full strength. I want to ask you this question, and I mean, you know, it's not like I don't want to pick the Timbers to win it all or anything like that, it's just... The, the two sides, I think, and, and to be fair here, I've picked Atlanta and or Columbus to maybe take a big run into this title. Not saying the Timbers can't do it, but you never know if, if they get uh, a luck here and a luck there that maybe they can go all the way. But in your mind, what do you think the Timbers have that maybe some of the other MLS clubs don't have and maybe they have an edge over some of these Liga MX sides if they do make a run to the final? I think when I think about the other MLS sides and kind of what they have, I think about a team like Columbus who, you know, they just won an MLS Cup and then got stronger over the offseason. So it's tough to look at that team and think to yourself, okay, how is how is my team better? Because it's like, how is any team better than a Columbus team that was just crowned the champions of the whole league and then um, they only got better in the offseason? But I just think it's some, I think this is something we talked about actually a, lot, a while back when the draw happened for um, for CONCACAF, I think when you just look at a team like that, hat, like, you know, what Giovanni Saparisi is used to, he has this experience with dealing with these kind of weird knockout situations. I think back to that 
you know, the MLS's back tournament and the success that the Timbers had in that kind of strange environment and situation and how they thrived and they figured out, okay, this is our identity. This is what we can do. Let's keep pushing forward. So while I'm not saying that a team like the Columbus Crew doesn't have that, I think that's just something that the Timbers have in their back pocket is just knowing that they have this experience with strange tournaments and weird environments. And, you know, that's just some type of just, just a little bit more that they can experience that they can kind of just tap into. And then maybe they can even catch some teams by surprise with um, what they look like once they get back to full strength also. So that's what I would probably say if I had to say there is an edge to what Portland had has over other MLS sides. Sides is just that, you know, they have that experience in weird tournaments with the MLS's back tournament and knowing how to win those kinds of things, which obviously isn't the same as CONCACAF, but um, it's still strange situations and they, that they thrive in. Um, and then just getting back to full strength, that'll be something that I think can catch some teams by surprise. That's Kyle Garcia, Stumptown Footy of SB Nation. This is Daniel Feuerstein, uh, CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 second leg review. Kyle, thank you again as always. Good luck in the quarters, and I'll talk to you next Friday. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me again. Kyle Garcia once again from Stumptown Footy of SB Nation. The Portland Timbers winning the second leg five goals to nil. Winning the aggregate seven goals to two. Of course, they had the two goal, two away goal advantage. Didn't matter anyway. They blitzed them on aggregate seven to two. So here's the schedule for the quarterfinals that will begin after this first weekend of MLS action on uh, Tuesday, April the 27th. We will have Toronto FC taking on Cruz Azul, and then also that we will also have Atlanta United. Uh, taking on the Philadelphia Union over at if I can just get that back up there real quick I just lost the um, the schedule here we go uh, so once again uh, Tuesday April the 27th Toronto FC against Cruz Azul that will be in, in Florida somewhere in Florida they cannot play in Canada there's no travel uh, to Canada because they've closed the border and the uh, airport borders uh, due to the pandemic, of course. So, but once again, Atlanta United will be hosting the Philadelphia Union also at April uh, April 27th. And that match will be at 8 o'clock. Toronto Sea and Cruz Azul will be at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, for Atlanta United, they'll be played at their home at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. And then on uh, Wednesday, April the 28th, we will have the uh, Columbus Crew hosting Monterey at Historic Crew Stadium at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And then the other uh, quarterfinal matchup, uh, we will have the Portland Timbers taking on Club America uh, over at Providence Park in Portland, Oregon. And that will be at 10.30 p.m. start time as well. To watch these matches live, Fox Sports 1. Also go to your Fox Sports Go or Fox Sports app. Uh, Fox Sports Go app to watch it on your uh, web-enabled devices. Uh, FoxSports.com as well. Uh, And if you would rather watch these matches in Spanish, T-U-D-N. Of course, that's Univision Deportes. uh, Is the Spanish language sports Network, check your local listings at home uh, as well for your satellite provider to use satellite 
uh, cable provider or just check uh, your apps to watch everything you can on um, CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, final thought from me, if I can just say this. I, I, you know, Victor Montagliani has done an excellent job of um, talking and bringing up CONCACAF into a much better position than what Jack Warner has done. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Jeffrey Webb has had some of those good moments in the past, but, you know, with also the uh, the stealing and everything he's done behind the scenes that no one has seen in CONCACAF. Uh, so he gets a half of a good job, but not really after all of the illegal stuff going on that he did. So, excuse me, sorry about that. But once again, um, you know, Victor Montagliani has done an excellent job bringing CONCACAF into a level we have never, ever seen before. And so far has brought CONCACAF into a position where you can be proud that this confederation is improving, it's getting stronger, it's getting better. That's the most important thing right here, right now. So those are your dates. And don't forget, next Friday, of course, CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals, first leg review show uh, on the air at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. This coming Monday, 14 Fire American Soccer Show will be coming right away um, into this one as well, talking about everything American soccer. I want to thank my guests tonight. Uh, of course, Jason Longshore, Dwayne Rollins, Matt Ralph, Patrick Gouldan, and Kyle Garcia on the recorded interview. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good evening. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.